Have you found a good decaf? No, they're all terrible. Mm. Uh, actually, that's not true. I think I've had a Toby's. Um, <clears throat> mm-hmm. I've had a decaf from Toby's Estate. I think their beans are probably the closest to a reasonable decaf I've had. Right now, right. we've got Starbucks decaf, which is awful. Yeah. So I actually would think if someone started up a gourmet um, decaf coffee shop, it would be bananas. I think that exists. Or there was like a pop-up shop. Hang on. Mm. Uh, of course, in New York City, because that's where all the cool shit is. Because the reason why decaf coffee is really shitty is because it takes a lot of processing to get all the caffeine out. Yeah. And that in itself makes it expensive because it needs a lot of attention. And so they compensate that by using the cheapest coffee beans available for it. Mm, right, hang on. Uh, let me send you this. I'm going to have to send you this through Skype because I don't have Slack or um, iMessage set up <laughs> on this computer. Because this is my work computer where I just do like audio things. There's uh, no distractions. How do you view a message on Skype? Well, that's embarrassing. Um, so you <laughs> okay, I found okay, it. Good. That's really dumb. Okay. <laughs> it is Swiss. I would actually love to check this out. Yeah, I think it was only temporary though, wasn't it? Yeah. But this does remind yeah. me... Well, I'm missing something else as well. This does remind me of this hilarious image. Is that supposed to be funny or is that supposed to be factual? <laughs> <laughs> How did you feel about last week's uh, editing? Were you annoyed by yourself again? or uh, No, it actually sounded pretty good. Because okay. um, I don't think I did any more editing last week than the week before, right. or at least not intentionally anyway. So, I think I was also very conscious about the way that I was speaking last week, as opposed to the previous week, when I was trying mm. to derive my thoughts on the fly. Yeah, you were being more like, okay, I'm going to get things out in a nice even flow and not leave huge gaps and then say... Right. And, Lots of filler words. Mm. And I have a feeling like the previous week, not last week, but the previous week before that, I was a little tired and mm. yet I still wanted to form cohesive thoughts regarding the book because, you know, it's such an important book <laughs> in this modern age. <laughs> I am, of course, talking about one of my favorite books, Steelheart by Brandon Sanderson. Yeah, I've listened to a few more episodes of his podcast. Okay. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it is quite interesting. I mean, the audio quality is appalling it sounds like they found a large hornet's nest to record in and then angered <laughs> them they did a an episode season 10 i'll put a link to this in the show notes about world building which is mm. um unfortunately the script notes episode we talked about last week yeah the i just noticed that exactly the week that i said that i talked about it so i'm um, sorry about that way back we discussed wishing people happy birthday on facebook yeah. and uh we discussed different approaches but last week, it was your birthday. It was my birthday. And then I got to thinking, it'd be interesting, we could do a little talk about, we could talk about what it's like to be on the receiving end yes. of all of these uh, bland, repetitive messages, and suddenly you've got like dozens of notifications. Yep. And what do you do about it? Because I have a couple of ideas about how to, how to approach this. So I thought we could talk about this, since you've had this uh, experience very recently. Right. I, I completely understand what it feels like to uh, to write a message mm-hmm. um, because whenever I receive a message on my birthday, I can't help but feel touched. Yes. Even if it's just like a happy birthday, Sam, 
um, you feel really good about it. If they put your name, damn. Right. And the more customized it is, I'm thinking, wow, like that's actually made me feel really special. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when it's, you know, like two or three sentences. Then it's like, wow, this guy <laughs> really put in the effort. And, you know, if they even put in an image, you're like, holy cow. Mm. Like, what are they doing? What's right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, funnily, the comment that you left me, actually, I did not feel that spark. (laughs) (laughs) Out of all of them, really, like, I'm telling you the truth. Uh, And I know, and I understand, like, you probably made an effort to make that special for me. (laughs) So, uh, just so everyone knows, what Edwin wrote on my wall on Facebook was, generic birthday message. (laughs) I think that's what it was. Full stop. The full stop was important full as stop. well. <laughs> yeah. And that did not give me the tinglies. Even if it was just a happy birthday exclamation mark, that kind of gives me the tinglies. So it was really funny. And I know that that probably, like, you probably put in a lot more effort than just writing happy birthday for that. <laughs> than all those other schmucks. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I thought it was interesting. But when it's my turn to write the messages, I'm always, like, at a at a loss of words. Like, it's really hard for me to go deeper than just happy birthday, person, right? (laughs) Insert name here. Yeah, there must be an automated bot or script that can do this for you. I wonder what percentage of Facebook posts are happy birthday or are birthday related. Like, it must be like 50% or 60%. Yeah, something crazy, right? If we had to like extrapolate Facebook like 20 years into the future <laughs> it, it would like just strictly become a birthday messaging service <laughs> right send bland insincere messages instantly <laughs> to everyone you know on their birthday you probably had like dozens of notifications that people had written something on your wall well we're we're talking hundreds here well, well, you popular <laughs> there is now a burden on you yes there is an expectation it feels like there's a social obligation that you should then do something about this. Right. So... Do you want to know what I do? <laughs> ignore them. <laughs> yes, correct. <laughs> I, I cannot, unfortunately. It right. is not... I'm not built that way. No, you're, you are a nice person. <laughs> I am not the worst person ever. <laughs> Excellent work, sir. Uh, so what I do is I actually go through and like all of them because I feel like it's my duty. You know, like it's... It's your fault, it's your birthday. Exactly. You have to go through and like every single one. Um, yeah. I mean, how long do you think that took? Probably a good 30 minutes. Like a solid 30 minutes of me just hankering down and actually going through them. There's no way to like bulk like? No, there isn't. You can't even get to a page that has all of the comments in one view. At least Facebook, now it's smart enough to recognize when it's your birthday and which comments are your birthday comments. Right. So it actually can section them out. Only problem is, even if you go through, go to that birthday section page, they only show like 50 at a time initially. So they show the first 50 first, and so you can like them. But then after that, they you have to load them in increments of 10 or 20. That's awful. Which, which makes it a pain in the ass. That's on mobile. No, even on desktop. And it's actually more annoying on the desktop because now every other thing creates a, a popover of information. And so I'm going through this, and because of the stupid mouse over things, I can't do it quickly because it's loading every single uh, quick info every time you mouse over a name. And the the bitch of the problem that happens is that if you misclick, you Uh-oh. actually go to that profile, and if you hit back, no. you're back to 50. 
and so you have to go and like oh, load yeah. yeah did you uh did you consider doing a single post going thanks everyone for their birthday wishes so the thing is i did that already and then i began to like all the comments oh so you did both well that's, yeah. just, that's just extreme sam you're such a nice person <laughs> I guess that's why you get hundreds of birthday wishes on your birthday. Yeah, and some of them were like really in depth, like you know, chatting about recent posts that I had. And then did you did you have to feel like you had to respond? Right to, to, to some like of those, I did respond back. You're like, oh, they've written a few sentences. I have to write a few sentences back. There is a social obligation that we need to yeah. fulfill, Edwin. You're the you're the least British person that I know. Well, that's the beauty of the internet. I can be a jackass. <laughs> like in real, if this was real life, I'd be like, oh, how interesting! Yes, <laughs> let me talk about it. Thank you so much. But on the internet, I'm like, nope, ignore. <laughs> right. The other piece of updates I wanted to talk about was was it like a week or two ago? We we're chatting about BuzzFeed and the Try Guys. Mm-hmm. I was kind of speculating as to wait, are these just actors? Is this all a huge hoax? And yes, of course, it is a huge hoax because all television is a lie. But there was this video of like a making of video where one of the Try Guys, uh, Eugene, Mm -hmm. uh, kind of follows him and he's making a video. So there's a couple of interesting things in this video. Firstly, he says, we aren't actors. We are writers, directors, producers, editors. And the other thing that was interesting was that they, that each of these producers, because like once you, if you go down the rabbit hole of watching BuzzFeed videos, which I have done recently, you start to recognize (laughs) faces. You know, there's like, you get to kind of know the people who are in the videos. I don't know, I'd guess some of them have the same job where they are like, their job is to produce content for the BuzzFeed channel. Totally. And their expectation is that they make one massively viral video a month. They don't give figures. My guess would be like five, five, six million plus views. Yeah, so the one that you linked me, I think it was about a week or two old, mm. and it already had like 3.5 million views, Yeah, which I don't know how much that would calculate into like ad revenue, but if I were to guess, if it's like 3.5 million views in about a week, I want to say safely like $500 a day easily mm. for that content. So if Just it's like, like on, on a pre-roll, on a YouTube pre-roll. Yeah, mm. like any sort of advertising value. If it's 3.5 million for about oh, two weeks, about 500 to to $1,000 a day maybe in ad revenue. And then you think, you know, they put out one or two videos every day. I mean, of course, this video is produced by Buzz- BuzzFeed. So it's also like, okay, let's view this through the lens of mm-hmm. they've carefully crafted this video to be about how they make videos. Right. Um, yeah, it was just interesting and like, all the videos, they don't actually have a production staff. They just use interns. Totally. Well, is like, it is a like, startup, right? They're in this like scrappy startup mode, kind of. I mean, they are, they've got huge rounds of investment and they are loaded sure. with money. And they, yes. I think like large media conglomerates own part of BuzzFeed, I think. Don't quote mm-hmm. me on that, but like, I wouldn't be surprised. So yeah, you're like, okay, they are sort of a scrappy startup, but at the same time, they have... They're tons massively of money. backed and financed and stuff like that. Yeah. Right. But there's a reason why they're being backed by tons of money, right? It's because they do produce good content in a quick and scrappy way that's cost saving, but also mm. highly viral and effective. Yeah. So this is just, it was just interesting and addressed some of the things that I was contemplating um, after watching some of the BuzzFeed videos. Yeah, I thought it was super interesting because it is super high production, right? But I think generally all the YouTube videos that are produced in LA have the same vibe. They all go for that type of quality these days. Because it's always so nice and sunny outside. It's yeah. Light. yeah. Everyone's a freaking filmmaker slash producer slash director slash actor. 
if you ever if you ever look at some of the special effects youtube channels where it's just like two guys and like three dudes on a computer doing super special effects um they get crazy amount of views and they they turn around like a quick video of like five minutes in about two to three weeks time and they probably produce the same amount of views which means the same amount of ad revenue for much less people but it's super high in quality i can imagine how like that also ramps up buzzfeed's um attention to quality as well so yeah it's like an 11 minute video yeah i don't know maybe worth watching Mm -hmm. the first part of it like when it gets into the actual production itself i'm not sure it's that interesting from that point onwards right kind of behind the scenes thinking about the actual business model and like how buzzfeed works yeah interesting to tell you the truth it actually uh turned me off to eugene right (laughs) because in all the try guy videos he seems like a very laid-back funny guy who is just naturally um i guess like photogenic and you know plays well with the camera but looking at this you can tell like how much of a control freak he is and how much attention he wants all tv is a lie (laughs) it is (laughs) but then you're like well Okay, so BuzzFeed are making a video about how videos get made. Like, isn't it more interesting if the producer pretends to be an asshole? Like, mm. that could totally be happening. He's like, oh no, I, I don't just make him an so. asshole. I think the thing is, he wasn't trying to be an asshole. But that could like, have been a decision. They're like, okay, we're going to do behind the scenes. <laughs> so you need to be like a crazy tyrant to kind of mm. make this video like a whole lot more viral and people are going to talk about it more. <laughs> you know? Maybe. I don't know. It could, that know. could happen. But yeah yeah um but it also made me want to never work in tv production because that does look awful yeah i mean i'm so glad that we do what we do because tv production is so much work yeah and that is a nice segue into the book of the week (laughs) so this week we've been reading worst person ever by douglas copeland i listened to the audible version and you probably read the the paperback version or the hardcover it was a paperback, yes. I'm not that fancy. <laughs> so, if we're to summarize this book in, let's say, about... I don't know, do we want to do a full story summary or do we want to do, like, a premise summary? Because I think for the reader or for the listener, uh, sometimes a full story summary works a lot better. Like when you listen to The Flop House, for example. Yeah, like a whole... I, just, I was actually just listening to The Flop House. Right. <laughs> That's true. Um... I'm not sure I can do a good enough job of doing a, bl- a play-by-play. Like, they must take a shit ton of notes right. watching the movie, and yeah. then I realize that I have not done the same while reading this book. <laughs> okay. But we can How try about, it. Yeah. Let's How about this? Okay. Uh, yeah, let's try to recall the events of the story. So, spoiler alert, obviously. Do we need to even say that? Well, the book club, I think, has already lended itself to spoiler warnings previously, but let's say it again. Let Sam do the voice. The following contains spoilers from the book Worst Person Ever by Douglas Copeland. Nice. So we meet Raymond Gunt, who is a mid-30s, um, looking for work, B cameraman, B unit, what's the word? Is it is a B yeah, cameraman? B unit cameraman. Yeah, who's kind of like worked around the edges of TV. Uh, he uh, previously married to Fiona. Uh, she is, Who is kind of his a, agent. His agent, and she's like a high, high-flying 
executive. So she's kind of done fairly well in the business. Mm-hmm. He has not done well. The book starts in West London, where he, what happens? Like he gets a he goes to meet to meet Fiona, and she offers him a job, mm-hmm. uh, which is to be a cameraman on a Survivor style reality TV show that's going to be shot in like the, a, an island in the Central Pacific. Yep. And uh, one of the requirements or one of the, the, the things that uh, Raymond Gunt now has to do is find a personal assistant that will accompany him to the Pacific so that he can do his job effectively. <laughs> That's good. Good setup. Uh, on the way home after this meeting, uh, a homeless person accosts him. And uh, because that ruined his sunny mood that he was in, he decides to just kick this guy in the shins. And the homeless guy then <laughs> proceeds to jump upon him and then make him sing that song by the Human League, whose name I'm forgetting. Um, don't you want me, baby? They sort of start to have a little bit of a rapport and they end up kind of having perhaps not a great relationship, but they kind of have an understanding. He goes about his merry way um, back to his apartment. So then Fiona sends over one of her assistants to drop a script off. Mm-hmm. Like, throughout this book, Raymond is just trying to sleep with any woman he comes across. He does have his standards, though. Um, yes. Which is very low. Which, yes. But standards, nevertheless. Yes. So it transpires. He needs to find this assistant. He ends up picking this homeless man <laughs> that he just met or had an altercation with in the street. Right. Whose name is Neil. Like, that's kind of it. Like then They then take a plane to yep. L.A., and essentially, their adventure begins. Raymond Gunn and Neil uh, proceed to to go towards the Pacific, yes, uh, uh, to a specific island in which they're going to film the reality TV show. Um, which yep. then, of course, a series of unfortunate events begin to occur. So, like a lot of this movie is not this movie. A lot of this, uh, a lot of this book is kind of an ode to the horrors of airplane travel. Mm-hmm. So, there's a lot of. Um, stuff that happens on the flight to LA like he's stuck next to like very loud children mm-hmm. the in-flight entertainment system is broken so they have to watch uh, Viva Rock Vegas the Flintstones movie four times on a loop yeah the Flintstones <laughs> right uh, then various things transpire he gets zip locked his wrists yeah he gets restrained zip locked into his chair and is this the first time he eats a macadamia nut uh, no, the macadamia nut actually happens later, but he does, this is one of the first time where he passes out. Was that from eating it? But not that this time it wasn't from eating a macadamia nut. No. So he has a tree nut allergy, uh, which he uses to his own benefit a few times later. Um, so they, they land in Los Angeles. Uh, what happens at the airport there? Like he meets some he- people, like there's a lot of kind of incidental meetings which then have repercussions later on when right these people then show up later well they're okay from there i think he then proceeds to uh board a plane in which he's seated at first class so he's very happy because his previous flight was he was shifted from a first class seat over to a coach seat right uh, his, his seat had been deleted right <laughs> Um, but it happens that uh, the person next to him sitting in the first class seat for this trip, which was sort of the final leg of his plane ride to the Pacific Islands, was sat by a uh, very obese person oh, who right. Raymond just continued to make fun of. Um, right. 
and the person ends up having a a heart attack because of all the uh, the right. stress that Raymond was providing. To death. <laughs> exactly. <Right. laughs> and then they finally land uh, in one of the the islands in Hawaii. I think yeah, they first land in Hawaii. Oh, this is Wake Island. Is this where you go to Wake Island? Yes, into Wake Island. Um, oh, where? On, wait, doesn't the oh, oh, this is getting ridiculous. Yeah, you, so there's like a lot of islands that they visit, and it was yeah. really hard to follow which one was which. Right, um, but like these are all islands because I had to go and look on a map, and that's like, <laughs> oh shit, these places exist. Like there is this crazy <laughs> like U.S. military reservation on called Wake Island. Gotcha. That is you know just basically a U.S. military base in the like the middle of the pacific and then you go oh there's kiribati right there and <laughs> so it turns out the person that was bullied to death was actually one of the um one of the main executive producers of the show that was going to be filmed <laughs> right um and so they need to they needed to make some other adjustments to the show and um they made the adjustments and i think it turns out that uh raymond gunn has another opportunity to actually botch up that show even though fixes have been made so, uh, after a long series of unfortunate events on Raymond Gunt, it turns out that he actually got another job for another survival show. Uh, well, don't they recast the existing show? Right. Right, because there's a plane crash and all the contestants were killed. <laughs> <laughs> so he finds himself, so there's like a stopover on Wake Island, and he finds out the 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 barmaid he was awful to at LAX is actually an undercover operative who's a high-level military um, official, and she runs Wake Island. There's a angry dance from Billy Elliot that he's forced to do in front of the <laughs> whole population of the island. There's then... Uh, they go to the Pacific Trash Vortex, which I'd never heard of before, but that is a thing. Yeah, it's like a large floating debris of plastic in the ocean. Yeah, like larger than Texas. They drop a atomic bomb on it to try and, uh, you know, clear it, get rid of it, which then kind of launches, like, the next world war. I mean, the next cold war. Like, after the atomic, atomic bomb is dropped, then this, like, crisis kind of happens, like, almost in the background, because mm-hmm. we then go to Kiribati, where this, uh, this reality show is going to be filmed. The fallout, uh-huh, all pun intended, from the atomic bomb means that then... All flights are grounded. Um, there's no, there's no way in or out to Kiribati. There's, you know, there's the kind of talk of, you know, some places in the Western world. Yeah, there's like an escalation of tensions, isn't there? Because like no one knows who dropped this atomic bomb. Right. But this, as I said, is all kind of played out in the background. They get to Kiribati. They try and shoot this Survivor show. Awful things happen. <laughs> <laughs> two awful people they end up kind of marooned there yep and essentially it turns out that um i think to make this part a long story short yeah uh the big boat that was like the executive boat that everyone sort of had to come and go through from kiribati essentially blows up so people are then stranded or now fending for themselves um, to get sort of like the last stockpiles of food and try and survive uh, or getting um, try and survive to get off the island. Yeah. Um, and that's when the book ends with Raymond Gunt and sort of like this precarious possession of having to spend time with his family, which I right. think towards the later end of the story, Raymond finds out that he in fact has children from his wife, Fiona. 
right yes <laughs> which was a which was a big surprise for raymond that seems like a pretty good summation <laughs> which sounds ridiculous so i think we can say this is a farce in mm-hmm. you know the whole whole premise everything about this book is set up to be ludicrous absolutely ridiculous should we do a three by three let's do a three by three I feel like I might have to like do a good and bad together because I have so many conflicting feelings about this book. Yes. Like, just doing a pure good point. Yep. It might be tricky, but let's try it. Let's see what happens. I was very entertained by this book. Yeah, the, I'll agree with that. Just some of the insults and uh, <laughs> abuse that Raymond Hulls is incredibly entertainingly written. It is. Yeah, in a lesser author's hands, this could have just been not much fun to read right but yeah the turn of phrase douglas copeland is amazing so <laughs> it's just so awful it's it kind is. of amazing <laughs> i love the descriptions that he used um like when he was describing so neil so raymond cunt found sorry <laughs> <laughs> which i think is on purpose i must be on purpose yes <laughs> so raymond gunt he first finds neil uh who's on the street and homeless and when he goes back to find him as a personal assistant, uh, he was actually living inside of a box, yes. but not just an ordinary box. So the author made it a point to describe it as a Samsung TV box. <laughs> right. I love the descriptions of it because um, there was like subtle hints as how sturdy the box was <laughs> and how professionally made the box was. And yep. then later on, like Raymond checks the inside of the box, and it turns out like Neil, the the homeless person, actually drew in little windows. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought details like that was just like so funny. Um, and uh, like relating to that, like um, so every once in a while in the book, if they say stuff like "Oh, and it's a Samsung box," and then uh, like either the narrator or like Raymond himself would go into like this narration mode of like saying like Samsung is a company that is formed in the early 1970s from South Korea. You know, it gets into like this really um, informational phase with like true facts from Wikipedia. And I thought those are like really good interjections. Yeah. In, um, so in the paperback version, like on the, you get like a little, like after the first page, you get like a little intro and it says, uh, this book began uh, as an attempt to reinvigorate reinvig- uh, the biji, uh, B-I-J-I, a genre in classical Chinese literature. Mm. Uh, biji roughly translates as notebook and can, 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 and can contain uh, anecdotes, quotations, random musings, philosophical speculations, literary criticisms, and anything the author uh, deems worthy reading. So those asides uh, in the book appear in like little gray boxes like ah. scattered throughout. So it's like, uh, it's almost like someone has just dropped a little post-it note or something in the book. Interesting. Which, yeah, it, it works on paper. I guess in, you probably get a different experience if it's... It was actually really funny uh, audio-wise <laughs> as well. Because um, the voice that the author read for Neil was was absolutely brilliant. Was it all done in a British accent? It was all done in a British accent. Yep. So the person was British. Raymond Gunn just kind of sounded like a snide asshole. Like, like, my God, that is absolutely horrendous. Right? Kind of like that thing. (laughs) And then Neil would sound like, well, Raymond, I don't think so. You know, like, it'd sort of be like um, this kind of gruff of a guy who actually turns out to be, like, quite intellectual. (laughs) Right. Um 
Yeah, like the insults are incredible. Like, uh, <laughs> doubtless some filthy labia-chewing swamp raccoon. <laughs> so he goes into like these really um, intense, well-described uh, insults. Whenever he describes Fiona, his ex-wife, he goes into like really awful descriptions. Uh, but then when he meets his daughter for the first time, who he sees as like this really beautiful pure person all of it like his only description of her is she's a lot like fiona but beautiful <laughs> and that's it yes when we first meet fiona i think he describes her as a leathery cum dump <laughs> so uh second point uh i love neil i thought there was just something really entertaining about him he's like a very good foil for raymond like he's almost <laughs> earnest enough but you're also like, is he just fucking with Raymond as well at the same right. time? Yeah. Uh, and he does have his own motives, which turns out to be really funny towards like the later half of the book. But at the same time, like I think he's also on the same level as Raymond as uh, almost equally being the worst person ever. Yeah, like he is pretty awful as well. Uh, he's all, Yeah, and he's kind of all, sometimes the catalyst for... <laughs> stupid things like he finds a bag of ecstasy pills and it's like oh should we take them <laughs> and then that starts a whole thing yeah uh in a convenience store right where th- with a red plastic thingy right and they convince the store owner store owner that um that raymond is a sort of ravaged aids victim <laughs> and proceeds <laughs> to sell like half of his store to the tv crew just to get them out of there yes i mean without the benefit of having a narrator doing different voices just like reading on the page it was a little difficult it felt like they were their characters were fairly similar Mm. so um perhaps yeah reading it for me didn't come across quite as like two different people oh wow yeah um the audiobook was really top marks in terms of um differentiating the two and listening to their to their conversations but one thing that was horrible is when it got to the women was presumably it was a male narrator yes male narrator doing the female voices but at the same time all the females are just like either pure sex pots or pure evil yes the uh female characters uh don't do well in this book (laughs) aren't really fleshed out at all pardon the Right. And I wonder if that's just as a device of the story or it's sort of from yeah. Raymond's yes, perspective. Like, yeah, that would be my assessment of it. Um, yeah, like that is just how he views women. They're either <laughs> like ball busting, filthy, labia chewing swamp raccoons or they're there for sex. Right, exactly. Some of the scenes are kind of very evo- no, evocative. Because some of them, they're very well described. And like some of the imagery, yeah, kind of stuck with me. I would like to read you a passage, if I may. Yes, please. As I often do with the book club. Uh, yeah, this, this, like, I can't stop thinking about this really horrendous incident that's kind of just described just so in a blasé fashion. <laughs> I think they're, on, they're in Wake Island right now, mm-hmm. uh, which is a military base in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And uh, they need clothes. And it turns out that Neil has some new clothes. Uh, which Raymond didn't know about. So they're talking about, hey, where did these, where did these clothes come from? Uh, and then uh, Jenny, I can't remember exactly who Jenny is at this point, but uh, she kind of describes uh, where these clothes came from. Jenny cut in. Arnaud Dupuis, the world-leading radio telemetry expert. 
until last Bastille Day, when he jumped off the dock directly into a Portuguese man of war the size of a child's wading pool. Neil added, One of the lads told me last night that a clump of poor Arnold's uh, lymph nodes washed into the lagoon, and albatross <laughs> ate them before they could be landed in a net. That is so gruesome. <laughs> but at the same time, so hilarious, and just... And that's it. And that's all oh, right. We'll just take all his clothes. And so, yeah. And so whenever Neil wore another one of Arnold Dupuis article of clothing, it was always described as like either from like the Arnold Dupuis collection. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And then I just think about jumping into a Portuguese man of war the size of a child's wading pool. Oh God, that's awful. And then you get a lengthy description about exactly what a Portuguese man of war is. Right. <laughs> which is really interesting. It's uh. It is it's a jellyfish. Not a, it's, well, it's not a true de- jellyfish, mm. but a word I can't pronounce because it's not actually a single creature, mm. but a colonial organism made up of many minute individuals called zooids. So it's a very interesting book. Like it's very like ugh, I enjoyed it, mm. but at the same time, I mean the the first line on the back of the book is Raymond Gunt will entertain you against your will. <laughs> and I kind of felt like that because yeah. it's so awful. <laughs> it's just awful people doing awful things right. to each other. Everyone is absolutely horrible. <laughs> right. Um, there's really no redeeming quality about anyone except for maybe the children. Right. And then I'm like, oh my god, I'm enjoying this. Does yeah. this make me an awful person? <laughs> exactly. Am I terrible? Is like, is this like, oh god? But that's what I was thinking. I think deep down, like all of us sort of have these urges to just be absolutely horrible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you're like, do I find this entertaining? Because this is secretly what I want to do. Exactly. And I think and- he is sort of living out like all the reactions that we'd normally have at the side of our breath, but he's actually saying them. Yeah. And, you know, uh, many chapters kind of open with him saying how he thinks he's a great person. <laughs> yeah. You know, like he is delusional in that he's like, you know, uh, dear reader, like you, I consider myself a reasonable enough citizen. You know, live life in moderation, enjoy the occasional YouTube clip of frolicking otters and kittens, perhaps over tip a waitress who goes to the trouble of tarting herself up a bit. Or maybe just make the effort to try and be nice to the poor. Yay, poor people. <laughs> so he kind of comes back to this like, oh, I, I see, I'm a reasonable person. Like, I'm, I'm great. Mm-hmm. Or I'm, you know, uh, yeah. So he's this delusional person, which you're then like living his life through, through that delusion and they're like maybe we all have this delusion like we all think we are amazingly caring and wonderful you know like how everyone thinks they're better than the average driver yeah <laughs> driving totally um so that was yeah kind of it made me think and it was also entertaining as well and i think bottom line it was really entertaining but some bad points so the ending was really what the fuck for me I think it was, I mean, how the hell are they going to end this crazy thing? Right. But it kind of happens, there's an impromptu orgy, which I was expecting to be a, a hallucination at some point. Like, this was seemed out of, this seemed unlikely to happen. Totally. Especially when his mother appeared watching right. the entire orgy. <laughs> Eating crisps. <laughs> Eating crisps from her <laughs> left bra. <laughs> right. Yeah, and then he finally gets the woman that he's been, like, chasing this whole time, but it turns out she <laughs> was a man, <laughs> which felt a little bit like, I don't know, adolescent humor. Right. I mean, obviously, the rest of the book's hardly highbrow literature, but I mean, like, I, mean I was thinking that's how it's going to end. Like, he's yeah. going to be, like, stuck on this island mm-hmm. with the thing he hates the most or the thing he fears the most, which is, well, like, being gay or some kind of 
you know, being trapped with a man. Right. Uh, but it turns out that's not how it ends. They just end up on a boat yep. with uh, his wife and two kids. So I was reading this and I was thinking, Sam, I was thinking like, Sam is going to think this is the the book equivalent of Broad City. It kind of is. Because I was like, oh, this is just awful people doing awful things, but it's quite hilarious. <laughs> Right, so... So I was like, oh, maybe Sam's going to have a similar feelings about that. I had a lot of moral issues with this book. Um, but I couldn't help but it was, like, so damn funny. <laughs> and it really entertained me, which I think questioned my... <laughs> whether I'm actually a good person or not. And then after I sort of deemed, like, oh, man, this is absolutely horrible. I'm glad I finished this book. Raymond Gunn is a total asshole. Yeah. And then I said to myself, I wouldn't mind watching a movie version of this. <laughs> So yeah, another couple of bad things, like uh, the uh, the idea of doing a satire on reality TV mm. seemed like, mm, yeah, we've had like reality TV for like a decade now. Right. It didn't seem like much commentary to be made on that anymore. You know, I mean, you do, it did make you realize that it is probably awful to be on the sets of these shows. Yeah, but I feel like they didn't really dwell on it too much. Yeah, It was true. just sort of happening in the background and Raymond was just, getting into all sorts of other issues yeah yeah for a british person he used a lot of american terms huh like sidewalk and apartments and uh, wait what would you call sidewalk uh, pavement what yeah that makes no sense oh, well there it is so it is paved <laughs> the streets of london are paved with gold on the pavement yeah and there's like a few other little slips i mean uh, i don't hold it against him yeah the author is canadian uh. but yeah you're like okay I, this is not completely legit i just saw the book cover it has macadamia nuts on it oh amazing uh that's not the cover i have but that would be awesome so final ratings final ratings uh why don't you go first oh okay god damn it um i think it's gonna be a guilty four i'm not sure i would recommend it to people what does that say about me if i'm recommending this book to to you (laughs) you know (laughs) Like, in what situation is this a good book recommendation? I think you can actually separate them out. Okay, well, I just hope so. For me, it is a three out of five. Okay. But I'd yeah. say a highish three. So, because I found it entertaining. Right. But okay, because of sort of like the stuff that happens in the book and just like the ridiculousness of it, I kind of don't think it is a four for me. Mm. But at the same time, yeah. I would actually recommend this to people, especially the audio version, because it. It was super entertaining to listen to. Mm. Yeah, I mean the the book was fun to read. Yeah, yeah. I'd like I'd find myself getting annoyed that I'd got to my subway stop and I had to get off. <laughs> yeah. So I guess that's always a fairly good sign. I was pretty sure you were going to think this was Broad City in book form. No, no, no. I think overall the writing has been really good. So um, mm. it sort of got me going from the get go. But right. Broad City, it takes a while for you to actually get into. It does. You have to be in... I feel like you have to be kind of in the mood for Broad City for you to enjoy it. Yeah, well, thank you for the recommendation. I enjoyed it. Okay, um, excellent. I, I couldn't us- get over the, the angry dance <laughs> from <laughs> I, the movie Billy Elliot. I had to go look at that. Because I'd seen Billy Elliot, but I've totally forgotten that. Really? It's like he like dances all angry and actually does the <laughs> salute to the guy. <laughs> Wait, what was that? What was that? mental thing sorry that the kids had on the first plane that he was on <laughs> okay i'm gonna read this part because it has to be because it's amazing so he's checking into his flight to lax and has just found out that he has to sit in uh, the coach because his uh first class seat has been deleted suddenly 
From behind me in the Coach Cut Class International Check-In, there came a series of childish screams so horrifying and so loud that even the most sinister baby-hating citizen would worry about the health and sanity of the child, as well as his parents. Janelle looked up with a smile. I stared at her. How can you possibly be smiling? Those children, sir, it's heartwarming. They're off to Los Angeles to undergo a new surgical procedure that could save their lives. I turned around, and across the hall I saw a telethon's worth of atypical-looking children. Okay, tards, actually. (laughs) Fifteen, maybe twenty of them. Janelle, can you tell me more about these, um, children? They have Boonwell syndrome. Oh? Children with Boonwell syndrome have no ability to control their emotions. Unfortunately, almost everything they experience is perceived by their brain as a threat. Yet the ensuring fear isn't funneled through the checks and barriers we normal, I'm sorry, statistically average people use (laughs) to keep a scrim between society and us. So they basically live in a state of perpetual agitation, and their voices might inform the world of this. (laughs) And of course, oh, what a coincidence, sir. The Boonwell children from the New Start Party is seated in rows 66, 67, and 68. (laughs) I can only imagine how thrilled they'll be to have someone as compassionate as you near them in what can only be a long and terrifying flight. Possibly the most frightening event most of them have had to endure in their uh, during their most likely short and sad little lives. <laughs> Thankfully, it's not an actual syndrome or disorder. Did that? Did that little reading just bump you up to a, a four star? Almost. Okay. Almost. <laughs> Sam, would you like to reveal? our next Fortnite's book club. Yeah, so I I thought hard about this because we're just getting off of a kick from fiction. I thought it might be great for us to do a autobiography or a biography. Oh, we have not done one of those before. Someone interesting. How exciting. Why should I hope so? Uh, Hopefully it'll be good. It got great ratings. Um, And I'm generally interested in this person even though he's such a figure. Um, So the book is Total Recall my unbelievably true life story <laughs> no way by arnold schwarzenegger Amazing. <laughs> i was not i was not expecting that sam do you think he narrates the audible version uh n- i think partially it said <laughs> oh my god wow shall i do the audible version as well it's up to you i'm not sure i necessarily want to have this on my bookcase <laughs> <laughs> Like reading this on the subway, like a Sam, I have a certain you know presence that I need to maintain. <laughs> you know, and that's why in like Asia, whenever you go to a bookstore and you buy a book, they'll actually uh, wrap the covers for you. How are my levels? How do I sound? Sound like a delicious sunrise on a cool, crisp morning. Damn, that's hot. 